This struck me during the beginning of the pandemic, uh, the COVID pandemic. I, I live and work in the New York metropolitan area. Uh, and I distinctly remember a woman who came in um, and she came in for a body exam because she had a history of melanoma before. She was in her young 40s. And she looked at me, she said, I know you're gonna think that I'm very shallow. I realize that, and then really there are people dying everywhere. But I have to tell you, we are all so stressed and depressed. And if you're not gonna give me Botox, you're gonna make me feel worse about myself. She said, I need this for my own well-being." Um, and I think people, people talk about, you know, these aesthetic procedures we do and how silly this all is. It's not silly at all. I mean, I, yeah, I did her body exam, she was fine, but I injected her with a neuromodulator and it changed her day um, because she felt better about herself. listening to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic, the podcast where the most high-performing owners of aesthetic clinics and med spas from all over the world tell their stories and share the strategies and insights that allowed them to grow their business from often humble beginnings to soaring success. If you've ever tried to build a clinic, you'll know that it takes a lot more than just being a great doctor or practitioner, and it helps when you learn from the best in the industry. So join me, Miriam Shaviv, host and director of content at Brainstorm Digital, as we explore how aesthetic clinic owners just like you have developed the mindset, skills, and experience to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. Let's jump in. What up and coming aesthetic treatments should you be most excited about? What are the most underexploited opportunities in the aesthetic market? And what are the three most impactful treatments from the past 30 years? Today's podcast guest, Dr. David Goldberg, has a unique perspective. This world-renowned dermatologist who's been practicing since 1985 is known for his pioneering work with cutting-edge technology. His practice, Skin Laser and Surgery Specialist of New York and New Jersey, recently became a division of Schweiger Dermatology Group, where he is now Director of Cosmetic Dermatology and Clinic Research. He's a former president of American Society for Lasers in Medicine and Surgery, who's published over 160 academic papers. And this busy doctor has even found time to get a law degree and practice law. Nowadays, he answers legal questions in his monthly column for Dermatology Times. Perhaps you've caught it. Let's dive in with Dr. Goldberg. Dr. Goldberg, great to have you here today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Fantastic. Um, so I want to start somewhere slightly unusual. Usually we start with, um, you know, wait, where, where you were educated, how you got into aesthetics. But with you, I actually want to start at the end. You've had more than 30 years of experience um, at, at really at the top of, uh, top of the aesthetics field. Um, and I was wondering whether you could maybe look back and tell us a little bit about what you see as the most impactful devices and treatments that have emerged in the last 30 years. Of course, that's a lot. Um, we're talking about 30 years time. So I think what we'll do is uh, start at today and then, and then go backwards. Um, because obviously there are so many energy-based devices, lasers and other devices like it. They're injectables, they're topical agents. Um, that would probably take about two days and that's way too long for this podcast. And so today, at least uh, in 2020 and heading into 2021, um, the area that is really growing the most right now uh, is the area of non-invasive body contouring. Um, you know, the world is uh, spending a lot of time at home. Uh, they're spending time in this pandemic. Uh, they're 
not exercising enough, uh, they're eating too much, um, and they're, they're trying to do something about uh, that expanding girth of their waistlines and their hips and their thighs. And we've had over the last uh, 10, 15 years, a variety of devices that can uh, lead to improvement in non-invasive body contouring. Um, this area started with some of the radio frequency devices uh, really almost 15 years ago or more. Um, they tighten skin. Uh, the early ones didn't melt any fat, but they tightened skin. Uh, later ones uh, led to skin tightening and some fat melting, but none of them had any impact on the actual muscle. And of course, uh, you can melt fat and tighten the skin all you want, but if you still have uh, weak muscles, uh, it doesn't look very good. And so uh, people that even did non-invasive body contouring for their fat and their skin often had to go to the gym countless numbers of times to try to tighten the muscle. And that's until uh, a few years ago when what is now known as HIFEM technology came onto the market. HIFEM technology uses the uh, high intensity focused electromagnetic waves. Uh, and that is applied to the abdomen, to the thighs, to the arms, to the legs, and actually causes uh, increase in muscle girth uh, as well as new muscle fibers. So really tightens up the muscle. Um, and a 30 minute treatment uh, really is the equivalent of doing, oh, some 10,000 sit-ups, which nobody can do. But what has happened this past year is we've taken technology, which meant I have to use one machine for fat tightening, fat melting and skin tightening and something else for muscle. They've never been married together. And they could never be married together because the part of the machine that tightens skin and melts fat, which is an electrode, a radio frequency electrode, uh, is usually destroyed by the electromagnetic waves that come out of the hyphen technology. So you can't put them together. Uh, new technology has just been introduced to the marketplace, um, which uh, combines in a very special electrode, both the HIFEM, the muscle tightening, muscle uh, improvement, and the fat melting and even skin tightening in one device. Um, it's known as the M-Sculpt Neo, uh, manufactured by BTL, which is based in the uh, Czech Republic. Um, and this with a 30-minute treatment, uh, one can tighten skin, one can melt fat, uh, one can improve muscle tone. And our involvement in this, because we do a lot of studies, is we actually did a biopsy study looking at fat cells. Uh, and you can actually see the destruction of the fat induced by this single 30-minute treatment. So let me interrupt you here. How do you see um, this advance in technology? Does that, does that actually affect consumers' behavior, the patient's behavior? Like, has it actually affected the wider culture? You're talking about the, the technology I just mentioned? Yeah, yeah. well, what's, ch what's changed is historically, if you go back to some of the older devices, again, whether it's radio frequency or cryolipolysis, which melted fat, um, and even some of the early hyphen technology for muscle, the ideal individual is that person who went to the gym constantly, who's in great shape, who just need a little bit extra. The rest of us, which is the public at large, you know, we're often not necessarily ideal candidates for that. Um, but the problem is these technologies were not necessarily ideal for people who had uh, perhaps a, a slightly larger uh, body mass index. The new technology now can be used in anybody. Uh, you know, obviously someone who's grossly obese is not going to respond, but all of us have a little bit extra that, you know, we probably could diet a little bit more and, maybe take better care of ourselves. And so the greater public at large now is amenable to these treatments, which are very comfortable at 30 minutes. Generally people do four treatments over the course of a month um, and, and they get all the things I just talked about. So. And does it also change um, the availability, the advance of um, the technology? Do you think that it changes the way that the doctors, the, the clinics themselves practice or operate? 
Well, it, it has a definite impact on the way practices operate uh, in that the, the following. Um, the one, you don't need two machines, you only need one. Um, and so obviously that's cost effective for uh, the, the clinic, it's cost effective for the providers, and it's cost effective for the patients. Uh, this particular technology also does not have any disposables. Um, and so a lot of the technology we've had over the last 20 years, uh, we first have to buy the machine and then every patient has a disposable. So it's having a major impact uh, on, on, like I said, providers, uh, spas, medical offices, and, and the patient population. What are the other very big trends that you've seen over the last 30 years, maybe even a trend that people haven't really appreciated so much? So I look at technology, and, and again, my, my, my entire career has been based on working with new technology. I look at technology and I look at the impact it has, not just on, on our offices and, and providers, but really on the public at large. And if I were to go back, now we're going back now and look at the last 30 years, if I were to think about the three technologies that probably had the greatest impact on the population base that I treat, um, I'm going to take you back three decades ago. Um, and so when I first came out of my training uh, three decades ago and learned about lasers, there really was not much available. Uh, we had in those days an argon laser that was used to treat port wine stain birthmarks only in adults. And then we had old-fashioned carbon dioxide lasers, and their sole purpose was to burn off warts. There really was not a lot. I was attracted to the field because to me, lasers meant a combination of physics uh, and interacting with human beings, and I love both of them. Um, and so I learned to use those two lasers knowing that it really was not gonna be much of my career and I was gonna be a dermatologist. Then came the first really impactful device, and this is really in the uh, mid to late 1980s, and that was the pulse dye laser. And that allowed, allowed us to treat children with port wine stain birthmarks and to really change the lives of these young children from the time they were born. Um, and and it, yes, it's tremendously impactful on the children because you're lessening this birthmark. But even more importantly than that was the impact we had on their parents. These parents are devastated, they felt guilty, and we were changing the lives of their children and thereby them. And so going back three decades ago, that was probably the most impactful device I had used. And, it, and, and I really relate to that, by the way, because I have a niece who was born with one of those. One so of you know what I'm talking was, about. Yes, who was actually treated. Yeah. With yeah. And, and, and most people don't want their children to have it. There's an anecdotal story. I once met uh, Mikhail Gorbachev uh, a couple of decades ago and actually walked up to him and asked why he had never had his port wine scene treated. Uh, his wife was alive at the time and she responded in pretty good English um, because that's who he is. And that's just fine. But you know, most parents don't want their children to have to walk through life uh, and have those things just because other kids are, are, are just so terribly mean to them. And so that's going back um, really some three decades ago. Um, the, the second most impactful device, and, and that's not to take away from devices that treat wrinkles and cellulite and, and brown spots and, and tattoos and all things we treat. But the second most impactful device probably is about 15 years ago. Um, and that was the MirrorDry device. Uh, the MirrorDry device is a microwave technology, not exactly a laser, but it permanently lessened uh, sweating in people's armpits. Um, and, and you know, you can laugh about that a little bit, but if you think about people who oversweat in their armpits, the impact it has on them socially, professionally, in terms of cost of their clothing, it's terrible. And really nothing was successful. You could inject these people with neuromodulators and they sweat less for three months, but long-term it was a chronic problem. This device came on the market uh, and to this day, uh, it's a terrific treatment for people who sweat too much. 
what I'm hearing from you though, and it's very interesting, I don't know what the third device you're going to say is, um, but the first two are life-changing. You know, very often aesthetics has uh, a reputation for, uh, an, an unfair reputation for helping people who are very concerned, you know, who are basically vain. Um, but the things that you're pointing out are true issues. Um, you know, they're about so much more than appearance. They really go to the heart of people's identity, um, and uh, aesthetics almost doesn't really get enough credit for that, really. And that's absolutely the case, which leads to the uh, third example I was going to give you. Um, and this struck me during the beginning of the pandemic, uh, the COVID pandemic. I, I live and work in the New York metropolitan area. Uh, and certainly for the United States, uh, the New York, New Jersey area was hit very hard last March and April. Um, and we cut down a bunch of our clinics. Um, I, I did keep uh, some some of my clinics open in New Jersey, really to do what we felt was essential care, which was uh, looking at people for melanoma and skin cancer surgery. Uh, and I distinctly remember a woman who came in um, and she came in for a body exam because she had a history of melanoma before, she was in her young 40s. And she looked at me, she said, I know you're gonna think that I'm very shallow. I realized that, and then really there are people dying everywhere. She said, I realized you're gonna think this is very shallow. She said, but I have to tell you, we are all so stressed and depressed. And if you're not gonna give me Botox, you're gonna make me feel worse about myself. She said, I need, whether it's Botox or Dysport or Xeomin or whatever brand you want. She said, I need this for my own well-being." Um, and I think people, you're right, people talk about, you know, these aesthetic procedures we do and how silly this all is. It's not silly at all. I mean, I, yeah, I did her body exam. She was fine. But I injected her with a neuromodulator and it changed her day um, because she felt better about herself. And as a marketer, I actually think that's a major mistake that a lot of clinics make because what we see the entire time is that clinics are constantly talking about, you know, the prices, you know, just talking about, um, talking about the treatments in, in a very non-emotional way, but really it's a very, getting a lot of these treatments is a very, very emotional decision for many, many people. And I actually think that most clinics don't really make enough of that um, because it's genuinely life-changing for so many people. Well, you can go on and on and on. I mean, I, I can talk about another technology on that. There's all these intense pulse light technologies that are really all over the world. I mean, they're, you know, they're everywhere in the world. Um, and, and there's very good data that people who have ongoing over the course of years treatment with intense pulse light, they actually change their DNA to be healthier DNA. And so the study was done looking at biopsies of sun-damaged skin, non-sun-damaged skin, and then sun-damaged skin treated with multiple IPL treatments. And you see the DNA of sun-damaged skin treated returning back to that skin that is non-sun-damaged. That's a really healthy benefit. So do you think that there's some kind of missed opportunity here, really? Um, you know, because you really, again, you're talking about such life-changing things, but it seems like we never really talk about a lot of these treatments in those terms. Are, are we missing a trick here? Well, I think the problem is we're such a, you know, beauty-centric uh, public that we keep focusing on the beauty part of it, uh, and which is all valid, and it's great. I mean, we all want to look better. But there's another picture here, which, you know, I would argue is a lot brighter, uh, and, and there should be so much more enthusiasm about, and that is making people feel better about who they are as human beings and how they interact with other human beings. So what are the, we talked about the most um, impactful um, technologies. What do you think is the most underappreciated um, technology to emerge in the last 30 years? Something that you really, really appreciate that others 
um, that just maybe never took off in the way that you expected or that people just don't pay enough attention to? Well, I think some of the technologies that are used to treat, uh, you know, what are called age spots, obviously they're not age spots, they're seldom lentigenes, they're ephalates. I, I actually, when people come in, they tell me they have age spots or brown spots on their skin. I tell them, you know, they're not age spots, they're experience spots. The more experience you have, the more you get. Um, it is so easy to treat those with either nanosecond or picosecond lasers. I mean, one or two treatments and you make people look 10 years younger. Um, tremendously impactful. Um, and people really do look younger. So here, here is a, you know, another example of an aesthetic treatment that just makes you look and feel so much better about yourself. Um, and so I think, uh, I, you know, that, that's one thing that probably does not get all the credit it should. So looking, last question here about the treatments, although I'm sure we'll come back to them later. Looking ahead, what is coming up that you are really excited about? Oh, we're involved now in studies looking at devices that truly, truly can cure acne. Um, and, and, you know, acne is a really common problem. We always think of it as occurring just in teenagers, but it occurs in teenage years. It can occur around menopause. Uh, and for all of us who are wearing masks throughout the world, every, every one of us knows Famous. that acne is so much Oh, yeah. That acne is so much worse underneath the mask. Uh, and we have all kinds of treatments, whether it's topical treatments that can be irritating or oral treatments that have, you know, some side effects. Um, there's some significant work being done on, on lasers. Uh, they could actually, um, you know, if, if they don't cure acne, they're going to significantly improve it long term. Wow, that sounds amazing. So I know that we always... And when we have our impactful discussion 10 years from now, that's going to be one of them. I see. Um, okay, well, we've talked about how the treatments change. What about the patients? How, over 30 years, how have you seen the patients change? Oh, the patients have changed tremendously over 30 years. Uh, 30 years ago, uh, when I first started doing this work, and, and again, let, we talked about the pulse dilator for children's uh, port wine stain birthmarks. But as the next decade occurred, and we had lasers for wrinkles and brown spots, that was predominantly a 50, 60, sometimes even seven-year-old population. Um, now, the, the, this whole concept of prejuvenation instead of rejuvenation is a big deal. And so we have uh, women, and some men too, but mostly women, coming in in their mid to late 20s, early 30s, who say to me, you know, I looked at my parents and I, I, I can't stand those crow's feet and those deep forehead wrinkles. I need to do something to stop all that. Um, and, and when this started, this, this group of people started coming in and asking these questions five, six years ago, I think all of us thought they were crazy. You know, these are just crazy people. You know, they're so young, they have great skin. But actually they're right, um, because once you get etched line wrinkles, you can put whatever neuromodulator into them you want. You're not getting rid of them. You're gonna soften them, but you're not getting rid of them. So the patients are basically starting earlier and earlier. They don't wanna develop the wrinkles in the first place. That's the biggest Correct. Challenge. And so they need less and they come in less often. It's very easy to do. It's much less expensive for them because they need less. Uh, and yeah, they, they, uh, they don't wanna look like their parents. I'm laughing because the one thing I've ever put into an email for, for one of our clients that I've ever regretted, every doctor says to us that their patients say to them, I don't want to look like my parents. And I once put that in, a, in an email and we got back a slew of emails from, um, from the patient saying, 
my mother just died. What do you mean? I don't want to look like my mother. <laughs> it was the only thing right. I've ever written. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> having, said all, having said that, patients say that on a regular basis, the younger ones. Yeah. They, they seem to say that all over the world, but I will right. never, I will never, that's one sentiment that I will never reflect. A universal on. theme. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay, so what is the biggest um, underexploited opportunity um, in, in the market right now? So the biggest underexploited opportunity in the market right now um, is to, in my view, um, take all of these treatments we've done, um, which have really come onto the mass market, and that's great, um, but sometimes are not thought through in terms of the nuances. Um, and you know, when I when I've taught laser workshops, uh, often to people who you know maybe are not that expert in these areas and they're just learning them. Uh, and, and, you know, they come to a weekend workshop and they would learn these things. I often say to them, you know, if you just understand not all the physics of these devices, but basic physics, you're going to get better results. Um, you're going to be much safer. Um, and, and so, you know, it's easy to get results that are okay. Uh, to get results that are great, you have to really understand what you're doing. And it pays to spend a little bit extra time um, in, in the clinic setting uh, among providers to learn a little bit more to understand why these devices do what they do, how they do what they do, instead of what's going on today, which is companies provide a cookbook. You know, if you want to treat this, you do ABC. If you want to do that, you do XYZ. Well, ABC and XYZ may be at the top of the bell-shaped curve, but there are always people on both sides. And you want to get the best results and you want to be as safe as you can. And that has not been stressed enough. And do you see that though amongst um, you know medical professionals as well? Like what we hear the entire time is medical professionals saying that people who don't have the medical training who are still using some of these devices, they're the ones with the attitude, you know, they're just using it without really understanding what what you're doing. But are you seeing it amongst more sophisticated providers as well? Sure. I I don't think you know it doesn't matter if you have ten years of education or two years of education. If that education is not in the right arena, you're not going to create safe and effective results. Um, and so it's like anything else. You, you could be very good at something very quickly, or you could be doing it for years and not be good at it at all. All I'm trying to say is uh, a little bit more education uh, and a little bit more of thinking about what you're doing as a provider is always going to lead to better results, uh, be safer, and frankly, lead to happier patients who will tell other patients that will grow your clinic. Why do you think that's not happening enough? I think we're all running, 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 running. That's what we do. Uh, you know, the, the technologies are expensive uh, and you have to work harder and harder and harder to pay them off. And so nobody thinks for a second. So I, I would say just spend, you know, just like people meditate for, you know, whatever, 10, 20 minutes, think about what you're doing every day. Just spend 10 minutes thinking about what you're doing and how you can make yourself better. Okay, so the next thing we're going to do is we're going to delve into your story a little bit. Just before we do that, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about how you got started and reached where you are. Hey, it's Miriam here again. During this break, I have a quick question for you. Could you use some more Threadlifts patients? How about some more Body Sculpting patients? If the answer to either of those questions is yes, then we have two campaigns you can implement right now to generate new inquiries and bookings. The Threadless campaign is based on one we've run extremely successfully for three aesthetic clinics in Honolulu, LA, and London. So it's tried and tested on two continents and we've been refining and optimizing it ever since. 
but don't take my word for it. We've got a case study explaining exactly how the Threadlifts campaign works to bring in new patients and the kind of results it's generated. I've put the link in the show notes. Just head down there right now to grab your copy. And if you'd like to discuss how it can work for your clinic, my email address is in that document as well. We're also running a case study group right now for clinics that want to attract more body sculpting and skin tightening patients. We'll be working with you very closely to generate immediate appointments, both from new leads and from your existing patient list, and to create a body sculpting sales funnel that can bring in more high value appointments long-term. To find out more about how it works, email me at miriam at brainstorm-digital.co.uk. That's miriam at brainstorm-digital.co.uk. And I'll send you the details right now. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. Um, we've got Dr. David Goldberg with us today, um, and who's given us a brilliant overview of the last 30 years of trends um, in aesthetics and specifically in aesthetic devices. Um, but now we want to hear a little bit um, about you, Dr. Goldberg. Tell me a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? Um, and, uh, and, and where did your interest in aesthetics start? So uh, as I said early on, uh, I'm living in the heart of New York City. Uh, right now, but that's not where it all started. Uh, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, in the southwest of the United States, uh, you know, hot as could be, um, and grew up in a very poor family. Uh, my father was a salesman that couldn't make a dime. Uh, and so in, in that incredible heat, uh, which is almost as hot as the outback in Australia, uh, we had no air conditioning. Um, so it really came from very little. Uh, and from a very young age, I wanted to be a doctor, uh, just to try to get away from all that. Um, he ultimately studied hard, uh, did well in school, and um, ended up at uh, Yale Medical School in New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, so that was a long way from Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, and throughout medical school, I wanted to do open heart surgery. That's what I wanted to do, be a cardiothoracic surgeon, um, because my father had, had open heart surgery in Arizona as I was growing up and when I was in college. And so I went through uh, four years of medical school at Yale, um, and till the end, I wanted to be a, a cardiothoracic surgeon. And my oldest daughter was born uh, right toward the last part of my final year of medical school. And I was on call every other night, as these people are. Um, and I felt I'd never get to see my kid. At the time, I had a brother-in-law who was a dermatology resident and training at NYU, having the time of his life. And I had to make a decision back in really what was 1980. Uh, did I want to be in a godlike position, uh, opening people's hearts, uh, as compared to dermatology, which in the 1980s was simply nothing but rashes? Um, and and you know, we're talking about an ego issue here. This is really tough. Uh, and so I ended up deciding- Dermatology sound very attractive. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't in the 1980s. I can tell you that. It got very attractive as time went on. And so I ended up at NYU just like my brother-in-law, uh, but I missed the surgery. Uh, and ultimately I did a fellowship in uh, skin cancer surgery um, and spent a year doing that as lasers were just getting going in the mid eighties. Uh, and at the time, I went to the Cleveland Clinic, which was the mecca in the United States. Today, it's uh, Wilma Lyles at Harvard. I went to the Cleveland Clinic for literally all three days to learn about lasers. And as I said, all we had was an argon laser for port wine stains in adults and a carbon dioxide laser for warts. And I tell this funny story that after three days at the Cleveland Clinic uh, in Cleveland, I came back to New York, and I was an international laser expert overnight. And I tell that story because I was an expert overnight because there was nothing to know. There was nothing to do, nothing to know, but it was kind of cool, it was physics. And the rest really is history because with every year in the 1980s and 90s, there was new technology. Um, technology for brown spots, technology for wrinkles, technology for tattoos, it went on and on and on. And they all fulfilled my love of physics 
and interacting with people. Um, and that's how it all came to be. Uh, am I correct that you have a law degree as well? Yes. <laughs> so yeah, when I was in college, I actually wanted to go to medical school and law school. Uh, obviously went to medical school and then uh, ended up uh, in practice uh, for almost a decade. Uh, still had that bug in my, my bonnet, as they say. Uh, and while I was in practice and raising kids and being married, and working, do all the stuff I do, uh, I went to law school uh, at New York's Fordham Law School at night for four years. You can imagine doing all that one time. It was crazy. Uh, and uh, I actually taught law school, uh, healthcare law at Fordham Law School in New York for 20 years. Uh, and I still dabble uh, in law. So, yeah. It's a very unusual combination. So how does your, le how's your legal background, if at all, um, affected the way you practice and your, your entire attitude to, you know, to, to, to aesthetics? Well, you, you use the word if at all, so I'll change it to it. It affects it greatly. Um, what having, th there's a different thinking process uh, if you go to medical school, which is science-based versus if you go to law school, which is totally different. Um, what you learn in law school is in essence, obviously how to sue people, but also to protect yourself. Uh, and so I've taken that law degree and, and back to my own clinics uh, and those people who work with me. Um, and, and it's what I alluded to before. You know, I talked about spending 10 minutes every day thinking about what you're doing. If you do that, you actually create a much safer environment for yourself and your patients, uh, but it also keeps you out of the lawsuits. Um, and I, and I, strength, I, I, I strengthen, I practice that, that, that strength every day in the office um, because it, it leads to better results and it makes me sleep at night and it lessens lawsuits. So you're very conscious of the, of the legal risk, essentially. So what providers have to do is be conscious. What a law degree does is it makes you subconsciously aware of all that because it's ingrained in your brain. So I know that you also have um, a, a column about legal issues in dermatology times. Is that, is that, is that right? That is so, correct. So I'm interested to know what are the, the biggest um, legal questions that you've had or, or the most memorable ones? Oh my, it's, uh, it's everything from obviously negligence issues, which are common everyday issues to, uh, you know, some of the problems with um, reputation management. Uh, you know, there, there are people out there and certainly in the United States, it's Yelp and Google and, and they, they just destroy your reputations and how to approach all that. I, I've dealt with that in the columns. Uh, I've dealt with sexual harassment in the office. Uh, I mean, you can go on and on and on. Um, you know, I, if, if you read the columns now, you'll see they're, they're laden with uh, COVID-related issues because they're relevant. You know, what do you do when someone in your office uh, gets sick? Uh, what do you do if someone uh, that you've seen in the office uh, comes down with coronavirus uh, a month later and then sues your office because they claim they got it from you? I mean, these are, these are real life everyday issues. I mean, other than the COVID um, issues, is there, are there any particular legal issues that come up again and again that you really wish people, that the providers would knew more about or would get a handle on? Yeah, I, I think there, there is an issue of this sort of subliminal um, harassment of employees. Um, you have to be careful how you speak to people. Um, you know, they, they are the employees, uh, they work for you, but they can come back to haunt you. Um, and so it, it's something that I, I've written about, something that I certainly teach my providers about. Um, you, you know, you want to be treated like a human being, you have to treat everybody like a human being. Okay. Um, so over the years, you have built um, a, a, a little empire, essentially, maybe a large one. 
Um, what, uh, how many offices do you have now? Because I know that it's changed a little bit recently. Well, so I, for the last uh, 20 years, I ran um, four offices, one in Florida, two in New Jersey, one in New York. Uh, as of this past July, I merged with what is now the largest dermatology practice uh, in the New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania area. And now I'm responsible for cosmetic dermatology in over 70 offices. 70, seven zero. Seven zero. Yeah, it's, it's a big undertaking. That is, that is enormous. Okay, well, let's talk about the merger in, the, in a minute. But before we get there, um, what do you think was the most important step that allowed you to scale to, to, those, to those original four locations? Uh, the most important steps that allowed me to scale to those original four um, was really what I just said. I mean, I, 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 I'm so conscious every day about trying to do the right thing by people um, whether it's my patients or my staff and 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 you know, and I've taught this to my children and that is be passionate about what you do Don't think about the money um, If you're passionate about what you do, you're gonna be able to pay your bills And so I've always been driven by you know enjoy what I do. You have to enjoy what you do um, Love what you do be passionate about it and the rest all follows and I, I think my my career has really exemplified that was there anything kind of more technical though that really allowed you to grow the business, you know, really from a, from a business perspective? The more technical aspect of it has been, just like I was uh, attracted to lasers because I love technology and physics. Uh, I think the more technical part of it was, you know, we, we uh, got into whether ele uh, electronic medical records, uh, social media, uh, recognizing the value of the internet, um, you have to be technologically driven in the society uh, to succeed uh, in, in this current competitive environment. Um, well, talking about social media, um, what marketing has really worked for you? So, you know, we, like most people, do bits of everything. Um, I'll tell you what I think has worked, and then, then you didn't ask me, but I'll tell you what I think doesn't work. Um, what does work, because <laughs> they're both important, um, what does work is um, really going after your own patient base. Um, you know, marketing internally within the office. Um, you know, we have TVs running everywhere. We have pamphlets everywhere for patients. Um, they're your they're your best group to cross market, um, and so that works the best. And then obviously you have a uh, a really nice website that isn't overdone, uh, but is high end. Um, we we certainly. We're involved in social media. I, I sometimes wonder how much we really get out of it, but at least people know who we are. Um, and so all those things have been highly effective and, and I, I, I still stand by, you know, your own patient base is, is the best one to market to. It's um, the best one to market to and it's the one that, uh, to me, that's always the difference between the clinics that do really well and the ones that are struggling, the ones that understand that you have to leverage your existing assets first, um, the ones that, just, they just find it so much easier. Well, yeah, and, and, and those are the ones, I mean, you know, you, you leverage your own patients and they tell their family and friends about it. I mean, that, that's just the easiest way to market. And frankly, it costs almost nothing. Um, what costs a fortune, and, and I, you know, I, I don't want to say I didn't do some of it 25, 30 years ago, but what costs a fortune and to me is worthless uh, is the, the amount of money people can spend on television ads, uh, radio ads. Um, they have to be continuous. Um, they, they're, they're, for, for us, they've been not cost effective at all. I, I know some people would argue that they've helped them, but certainly in large metropolitan areas, large cities, London, Paris, New York, um, that kind of advertising is so expensive and has not been effective. 
Um, in smaller areas, uh, particularly in the United States, um, people have ads that are on some of these billboards, uh, uh, you know, on the highways, and, and some of that's been effective. Uh, we've not done that at all. Yeah, to me, those uh, the TV ads and the radio ads, you can't. It doesn't make any sense to me because there's nothing. If you watch, if, you know, if you're watching TV and one of those ads comes on. There's nothing you can do straight away. If you see something on social media, there's a button that you can press. If you get an email, you can hit reply to the email. That's what people want to do nowadays. If you're driving a car and something comes up on the radio, you're not going to remember it. I, I, I well, so really, really what you're saying is, in order to be effective, you have to have a call to action. That you can you act on immediately now. Right, and you cannot have that immediate call to action while you're driving your car. Uh, right. It just exactly. can't be. Otherwise, you'd be in a car accident. So. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It's, it's quite, it's quite old fashioned. I guess it must work for someone because people are still advertising on radio and TV. Or, but, or they haven't learned yet. <laughs> yeah, or they, ha they haven't learned it. And, and the other thing, as you say, is it's a very, very high um, cost relatively. And when the cost is so low of marketing to your own patients or marketing um, elsewhere, it, 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 it's a, it, it's a strange place, I think, to, to, to invest your money. Um, Tell me about the merger. Why did you decide to, to why, why did, you know, that's obviously an increasing trend in the market, first of all. We are hearing more and more of, uh, of, of offices merging. Why did you yeah. decide to go that route? So, you know, there, there are silver linings to every disaster in life. Uh, and obviously this coronavirus pandemic is, is a disaster. The silver lining for me was, um, I can't go anywhere. <laughs> you know, I'm a guy who travels all over the world lecturing and uh, couldn't go anywhere. I mean, I haven't been anywhere since March. And so I had a chance to think uh, about what I wanted for my future. Um, and, and, you know, I, I've, I've, yeah, I've done well in my practice. I mean, you, you've alluded to that, and I, I'm very happy with what I've accomplished. But I'm always looking for something new and something exciting. Um, and the, the group that I merged with is, is the Schweiger Dermatology Group, and it's run by Eric Schweiger. He's a young guy in his young 40s. Um, and, and I've known him since he was a dermatology resident. He actually rotated to one of my Jer New Jersey offices, whatever, 14, 15 years ago to learn about lasers at the time. And, and I've watched him as he's built this uh, huge group. I mean, it's the fourth largest in the United States, the largest in our area. Um, and, and, you know, they, they have all kinds of regular dermatology, some aesthetics, um, but not necessarily really high-end aesthetics. Um, and, and we run fellowship programs and we do research studies, FDA, non-FDA, um, and, and being home and, and frankly being bored because I couldn't travel, um, I approached uh, Dr. Schweiger and I said, you know, what would you think about me coming in and, you know, building up the cosmetic dermatology program and the clinical research program? Um, and ultimately I became the director of cosmetic dermatology and clinical research for their, you know, 70 plus office, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of providers throughout New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Um, and, you know, it's only a few months, but boy, it's been a blast. And in return, um, I don't have to do any more of the stuff that I grew not to like to do so much. Which one? That is hiring and firing people. It's not my favorite thing to do. Hiring, actually, I enjoy. Firing, I do not. And so I don't have to take care of that anymore. So the, the personnel, dealing with personnel, you really just wanted to deal with the technology and the and, and stuff that you enjoyed. Well, I, I love dealing with, you know, with, with the patients and frankly, the staff too, but on a different level now, because now I, I don't have to think about, you know, if I don't like them, I have to terminate them. I, I just, I, I hated that. So. 
did you have, you know, obviously lots of, um, especially now, you know, lots of different practices want to think it's smarter to rise together, which is, I think, a little bit what you were saying, essentially. Um, but did you have any concerns, anything that held you back from the idea of a merger? There's always that thought of, um, you know, I've been my own boss uh, forever. Uh, and although I have a lot of control over what I do, there, this is a huge operation. So there are people to talk to. And so we talked about the ego situation when I switched from being a cardiothoracic surgeon to a dermatologist. Well, this is sort of a repeat of that because now I have to answer to people. And I said, you know what? Why not? I mean, who cares? You know? And sometimes when you interact with more people, you actually learn more. Um, than making all decisions yourself and in that vacuum. And so, like I said, this has been glorious. It's been a wonderful marriage and uh, continues, hopefully continues to grow. So look at, let, let's go back to where we started, um, which is the 30-year view. Um, we've talked about all your successes. Is there anything you would have done differently? What would I have done differently? Um, boy, that's a good one. Uh, I think... I think the only thing that I might have done differently is, um, again, I talked about thinking. I think in the early years, I didn't think that much. I just ran, 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 ran. Um, and so I, I, you know, look, it all worked out, obviously, in the long run. But I probably should have spent a little more time in the early years thinking um, and didn't do it. But I didn't do it because I was in practice and I was going to law school. So kind of hard to do all that. And I think also when people are setting up their businesses, which is essentially what most you know, what clinic owners are doing, um, you you naturally get dragged into the business, and it is hard to find time for, you know, to focus on the business, to focus on wider issues. I think that's a, a you know, it's an issue not just for clinic owners, but for business owners across the board. That's what they find hard to do to find out well, time to. What one thing that I. I want wanted to do, um, you know, I, I obviously went to medical school, went to law school, and it occurred to me all along that I, I don't have that big business background. I mean, I, you, make, you learn by making mistakes. Um, and so uh, when I graduated law school, uh, and my then wife dragged my teenage kids to my law school graduation, um, she looked at me, she said, you're not going to go for a business degree now, are you? Uh, <laughs> but in retrospect, probably that would have been one of the smartest things to do, uh, but I didn't do it. So. <laughs> Well, I think you proved the adage about, you know, if you want something done, give it to, give it to someone who's already busy, because um, that, 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 that is clearly you. Um, you obviously um, influenced a lot of people. I know that you teach a great deal, um, and, you know, you, you really, education is clearly very important to you, and you educate others. Um, who has influenced you? Oh, this is an easy one. Um, and so I'm, I'm big on mentorship. Um, I believe that I am in part successful where I am because of a great mentor for me uh, and I've tried to do for others. So um, when I, as I said, I, I did dermatology at NYU, did a fellowship in Mohs skin cancer surgery, and then went to the Cleveland Clinic to learn lasers for three days. Uh, there was a fellow who now people don't know of anymore, but he was really a big deal uh, over the last three decades. There was a fellow there at the time, a young guy by the name of Ronald Whelan, um, who was on the staff at Cleveland Clinic doing laser work. Uh, he and I hit it off uh, because we were both from Arizona. Uh, I was from Phoenix, he was from Tucson, um, and he took a liking to me. This guy ultimately went on to become the president of the American Academy of Dermatology, the president of the American Society for Dermatologic Surgery, president of the American Society for Lasers and Medicine and Surgery, 
became the chief of dermatology at numerous different medical schools in the United States. And he dragged me up uh, and kept telling me, do this, do this, you'll, you'll make your career greater. And conversely, he said to me, don't do that. It's not good for your career. And so I think that mentors are one of the most, you, you can work as hard as you want, you can be as smart as you want, um, you need a mentor. Uh, and I believe mentorship is a big deal. What makes a good mentor? What, what should people be looking for? Uh, what makes a great mentor is someone who recognizes that someone else was a mentor to them and made them in part who they are. And that if you want to go through life and feel good about what you've done, you want to return some of that back to somebody else. And I assume also someone who, um, who has achieved things that you want to achieve or, or you just, what, what, what should people be looking for? What well, from the know? fact that they've had a, a, a mentor themselves. Well, I, what I look for is someone who wants to be mentored. Um, you know, I, I've had, I, I train fellows. I've had fellows who, you know, think they know it all from the time they start. You can't mentor someone like that. All of us, including me, uh, need a little humility in life um, because none of us are perfect. Uh, and someone who's bright, who's eager, uh, who has a lot of energy but shows some humility, they are the, the best ones to mentor. So finally, um, obviously you've, um, you've come all, 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 all this way over the last 30 years, um, but many people listening to this podcast are either just starting out or they've got one office. Um, what's your biggest piece of advice to those people who want to succeed? Obviously success is different to everyone in their own terms, but who really want to build a thriving business. Well, what's the biggest piece of advice that you have for them? Probably two parts to it. One is, as I said before, love what you do. Um, if you don't love what you do, you ought not to be doing it. I don't care whether it's uh, in sports, in medicine, in law, in engineering, you have to love what you do. Uh, the second aspect uh, in, in my space uh, is you can't, you know, we have, we have 100 different energy-based devices and lasers. You, you can't stop at that. You start with one um, and you get good at it and you build it. Uh, and then you get another and then you get another. That's exactly how I started. Uh, you know, it didn't start like this. So you can't do everything at one time. You have to be patient. Uh, if you're patient and you have a passion for it, you'll succeed. Do you think that people don't specialize enough at the beginning? They try to do yeah. everybody, everybody wants to do everything at one time. Uh, and no, no human being, including me, can do everything. You can't. Um, Dr. Goldberg, thank you very much. Um, I very much appreciate this extremely interesting um, conversation. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Uh, I'll give you my email address. Uh, it is dr, like doctor, dr, and then my name, dr. David Goldberg at skin and a n d lasers, l a s e r s dot com. dr. David Goldberg at skin and lasers dot com. Great. And of course, we'll put um, all the links to your social media and your website um, on the show notes as well. So anyone who's listening to this, um, who wants to check out um, Dr. Goldberg's website or social media, the links just pop down below the podcast and the links will be there. Dr. Goldberg, thank you very, very much. Um, and for everybody else, I'll see you on the next episode of How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic.